Clash ever be a part of the Olympics? The actual Olympics? That and a big announcement coming your way right now on The Clash. Welcome to The Clash Tips. This is Tip Dog 20. We have some interesting information to present to you guys this week. And of course, we have that big announcement, but I'm going to hold that big announcement and make you wait all the way to the end of the episode. So if you're one of those people that wants to read the end of the book before you actually read the book, then you're going to have to fast forward all the way to the end of this podcast to find out what the announcement is. But for those of us who are normal and read the book from beginning to end and like to find out the end after you've heard the story... Those people are going to have to wait till the end of this podcast to find out what that big announcement is. And it's super exciting. Uh, we have Call Me T back with us. T, how you doing, man? Not too bad. Excited to be here. Happy to have some friends to talk to about this wonderful game we all play. Yeah. Do you want to go ahead and introduce them? Sure. We have with us today uh, Clash with Styles. Uh, we will be referring to you as Alex, as I am told. Yes, correct? yes, that is me. It's good to be here. Thanks for uh, having me on, guys. Definitely looking forward to this one. I've uh, read over the stuff we're going to be looking at today, and uh, I'm pretty excited uh, about some of these things. Hopefully, that's going to come in the future. So, yeah, excited to talk about this stuff. So, Alex, why don't you give us a little bit about yourself? So, how long <laughs> have you played Clash? Uh, what town hall levels do you play? What clans are you a part of? How long have you been with EYG? Just give a little history about yourself. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I've been playing Clash pretty much since it was released. I played for a little bit and then I sort of jumped into the YouTube side of it pretty early on. I think it was December 2013 is when I started doing content creation. I think I was 14 years old when I started doing it. Um, so I've been, I've been around the Clash scene. I've seen ups and downs of Clash. But, but yeah, I, um, I've been playing quite a long time, which is, which is quite fun. Um, my favorite town halls, I would say town hall nine is probably my favorite town hall, uh, but I have multiple accounts, uh, throughout pretty much all the town halls. I don't tend to play any like competitive stuff with my 14. I more just sort of do legends league and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, certainly town hall nine. I love doing the competitive stuff. Um, I know EYG have currently got some one V ones going on and I'm doing the town hall nine one V one stuff, um, <laughs> which is great fun. Yeah. Um, oh, snap. So actually, uh, I was going to bring up the fact I have my town hall nine in the one V one EYG. Nice. I have my 11. So <laughs> oh, <sweet. laughs> my, uh, my 14 in the, the EYG one, it's going to be. Dude, I'm excited to see what, what you guys are going to do. I'm sad I missed <laughs> tips today, but... Yeah, well, I've, I've got my 14 and the, the UIG internal one as well. Mm. So that'll be good fun, I think. So I, I entered my 11 and my 9. And let me tell you, this is the reason why I played Clash. Uh, I played Clash back in 2014, 2015 because of the excitement that you feel whenever mm -hmm. you get into competitive mode. And so this 1v1 EYG tourney, this is the first competition that I have really done since I came back to clash, uh, not quite a year ago. And I, I, that the feeling of excitement that you get whenever you go in. And I was just telling T before you came on, actually, that the fact that you go into the clan, the FC is posted and you have five minutes to mm -hmm. look at the opponent's base, to get the CC troops that you think are appropriate to come up with some kind of thrown together plan and attack like that is that takes a completely different part of your brain than yeah. the normal you have 24 hours to figure out what attack you're going to use what troops you're going to use uh you can plan out your attack for 30 minutes to an hour if you want and uh, my first match with my town hall 11 did not go well at all <laughs> it, was, it was a complete crap shoot i i knew what my attack was but as I'm putting my troops down, I'm rushed in my mind. And I'm, I'm like, oh, okay, put, put my golem down here. And then I got to put my witches down here. And then I got to put, okay, my log, oh, crap. I put my log launcher down in the middle rather than the side. Oh, and then my whole, <laughs> whole attack just went kaput. Yeah. Uh, kind of the same thing happened with my Town Hall 9. I was a little more composed today when I did my Town Hall 9 1v1. And I got lucky and I won it. Nice. But it's a totally different experience. So mm -hmm. obviously, obviously, Alex, you have more experience doing the 1v1 stuff. And especially mm -hmm. you being Town Hall 9, how do mm -hmm. you go into a match like that? 
So yeah, as you said, I've got, I've got a lot of experience with 1v1 stuff. I like to think of myself as the godfather of 1v1 leagues and stuff. Obviously, I came up with Alpha League, which is sort of the was the original 1v1 uh-huh. sort of thing in, in Clash. And um, yeah, I, <laughs> I certainly have got plenty of experience and I, I've played a lot of Town Hall 9 1v1s before. I have done some higher Town Halls, um, but I'm not particularly good at the higher Town Halls, so I tend to stick uh, to kind of Town Hall 8, Town Hall 9. But uh, certainly the pressure, uh, like you were like you were saying, uh, you f- always feel the pressure get to you. I think in in regular clan wars, usually you've got your your teammates around you, but suddenly when it's an individual match, it feels like a lot more pressure just on you. Or certainly that's how I found it. And um, I I tend to just try and think of it like a regular war. It doesn't really matter the outcome. It is what it is. If if I'm going to triple, I'll triple. If I'm not, then it is what it is. But uh, I always just like to have fun with them and not really stress too much. And usually it, it goes all right. So yeah, that's super interesting. T, you had a perspective on how to approach a 1v1 because this is even, in my opinion, doing a 1v1 where you have five minutes to look look at the base and attack is even more stressful than even an esports war format because even in esports with the 45-minute timer, right, you have, what, yeah, you, seven or eight minutes? And then if you so, go last, you still have, like, 30 minutes to hit. Right. So most of the formats that we're seeing now in the leagues that we're signed up in, you have a minimum of 15 minutes to look at the bases, pick one, choose your army, get your troops, make your plan and get in the, get in the uh, attack mm-hmm. in like, if you're the last one to go, you might even have like 40 something minutes. Like our, our last hit in the comp war we did this morning, actually PE, our guest from last episode, he hit in the one minute window. So one minute left in the war. So he actually had 44 <laughs> minutes um, to do his Cutting planning. Close. <laughs> right. But you know, it's even 44 minutes is is not that much time, you know, it, it goes by really, really fast. Like but you're sitting a, there trying to like make your plan and like yeah. you look back at the time and you're like, oh my God, it's my window. I have to hit. Yeah. Um, with but it's an eternity. Ones, eternity yeah. compared to five minutes though, you know? Right, exactly. So I did my Town Hall 14 1v1 yesterday and that was the same sort of thing. Or I did it on a Friday. I'm sorry. So two days ago. We um, like, it's funny because you have to get the timing right of when your schedule and the other person's schedule lines up. It's not like a 24 hour war where you could just start the FC and then you have a whole day and then like time zones don't matter. Like this matters so much. Like I had to make a match with somebody in uh, the IST time zone and I'm in EST. So mm-hmm. it's like we found one window in a whole week that worked and we both had to sign on and we didn't really have very many clanmates that were on at the time. So I, I, I pestered PE to come on and give us troops. <laughs> And like, you know, you have five minutes to do your hits. So to me, I was like, okay, I know what I'm going to do. I know I'm going to go in with Blizzard. I don't know if I'm going to follow that up uh, with Lalo or if I'm going to follow up with Hydro or Dragons. But I was like, let me at least eliminate one of the components of decision making. Mm-hmm. Because then once you have at least some idea when you go and look at the base, instead of saying, I got nothing and I'm going to do a complete base ID and do all of my planning and all of my... Uh, troop planning and and troop picking and army training and all of these things that you have to do in five minutes, you eliminate just one small little component of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you could either do that with which army you're going to use or the CC you're going to use or the like hero. If you're like, okay, I'm going to do a clean charge, right? Well, that's it solves a whole pile of those yeah, potential questions. That is right? true. So you how- might walk in and see a base that's super bad for clean charge, and that's like I might have to pivot. But right. most of the time, if you're using you know meta comps, most of the time you can make it work on anything. Uh, what a, a noob like me, because I'm this is my this is my very first anything esports, anything one v one. A noob like me goes in looks at the base and thinks, okay, now I have to eliminate which army comps I'm going to use or not going to use. And at Town Hall 9, I have dragons. I have queen charge dragons. I have queen charge hogs. I have uh, queen charge dragons. I have uh, witches. I have, you know, and I go down through the list and I'm looking at this base. So, So Alex, I'm super curious. Do you do similar to what T is saying where you pretty much already have maybe the army camp or, I'm sorry, the army comp or the type of attack you're going to do before you go into the 1v1? Or how do you approach it? 
Yeah, so unfortunately, I'm not as skillful as T. Um, so, so, so I usually tend to have a couple of strategies that I know and I like using. And I'll always, certainly at turn on nine, I love using Goho. There's a, there's a couple of different strategies I can use as well there, um, Alalo or whatever. But more more often than not, I'll look to use a Goho at turn on nine. And usually I can make that work to pretty much all bases. Occasionally I'll be like, right, it's definitely not going to work in this space. So I will need to look at another plan. But when it goes to the higher town halls and we lean more towards the really competitive side of esports, which is Town Hall 14, which T was just talking about there. It's, it's, I, I find it incredibly difficult because I look at a base and if it doesn't really fit around the strategy that I use, so I tend to lean, um, well, I certainly was doing a lot of hybrid. I've tried to get away from that because hybrids, well, right now in the current meta, really not very strong. I'm hoping mm-hmm. it's going to get a buff soon. Um, but I'm currently doing the, the quad clone dragon spam attack. Mm, now, yeah. I'm, I'm, I've been doing that a lot in Legends League and it, it is working. So certainly that's what I'm trying to lean towards. But there's some bases I look at and I go, oh, it's never going to work, but I'll you know, throw, at, throw it at it anyways. But um, I think when it comes to the more competitive side, what T is talking about is certainly the way you have to go. You cannot just try and have a strategy like I do and make it fit to the base. You have to look at a base, identify its weak points and know like a queen charge is going to work here and then I can move it into dragons or I can move it into hybrid or whatever it is you might be using. I think that's the way you have to sort of lean towards in the really competitive uh, esports stuff. Yeah, that's true. So one thing that we like to talk about here on the podcast is the player experience. And the one thing that I really like about the 1v1 player experience is you're not letting anybody else down if you do not Mm three-star. So one of the really sucky things about competitive wars and competitive esports is if I don't three-star or if I have a bad attack that war, then I'm not only not not getting the victory on my part, but I'm also possibly letting down a whole clan of my peers. And so in the 1v1 format, you can just kind of approach it from a YOLO perspective and be like, just like you said, Alex, I'm going to hit this base. If I three-star, great. If I don't triple, great. Like I'm just going to hit it and have fun, trust my skills and go with it. And I think Mm -hmm. that's something that's super important to remember. Do you think that way, T? Yeah, you know, the 1v1 is just fun, right? I I think exactly what you said there's no pressure that you're going to let anyone down that you have like uh people hoping right like we just did our um comp war earlier this morning and every attack when you don't triple in a comp you're just like oh i'm so sorry guys like i wish you know feels so bad because you're putting everyone else on the spot whereas the one we want is just like I went in my 1v1 attack. And I was like, well, whatever. I'm going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so you know, true. You know, yes. and like there was, there was only PE watching. Like, who am I going to let down? PE's gonna, <laughs> <if>, you <know. laughs> and you know that PE is going to make fun of, of you whether you win or you lose. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's going to be something in the attack that he's going to be able to, you know, make fun of me for, which is totally fair. So I, I don't know, man. I, I really like these little 1v1s. I think they're, they're fun and they're silly and, I don't know. It's it's th- these are actually my the, my first time doing one v ones. So I, I'd actually be curious to hear from Alex about Town Hall Nine, where it, it was my understanding that normally in Town Hall Nine wars of kind of all kinds. Uh, I, I don't know too much about the one v ones because I haven't really done Alpha League at all with you guys. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But in Town Hall Nine, do you normally have troop or CC restrictions to make it a little less likely that there are triples? <laughs> And what do you think about EYG having the nine, uh, the Town Hall nine versus Town Hall nine, one v ones with no troop restrictions whatsoever until the tiebreakers? Yeah, so I was incredibly surprised to answer that last question uh, first. With the EY, I went in and, and read the rules, and I was searching and searching for the restrictions, like you were saying there at Town Hall nine, because more often than not, there will be restrictions at these lower town halls because it is easier to triple for sure. And uh, I was, you know, looking through and, well, I couldn't find any. And then, as you said, obviously, there's, <laughs> there's no troop restrictions, which was very surprising. Um, so I think we're going to see a huge amount of triples, certainly at Town Hall 9. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. you can't bring max troops anymore. That was a recent update they brought in that did mm-hmm. put a cap on the troop level, but you can still bring certainly a lot higher level troops than Town Hall 9. You can also bring additional spells, which which is interesting. I was, I was surprised to see that for sure. Certainly, I know pretty much all of the Town Hall 9 competitive stuff I've done previously, it's been 
restrictions either no CC or you can only use Town Hall 9 level CC or they'll put restrictions on the amount of a certain type of troops, say dragons or balloons or hog riders that you can use. And it just makes it a little bit funner. I'm currently playing in a Town Hall 8 one, uh, Town Hall 8 tournament CML, which have got the most restrictions I've ever seen, which um, is the complete opposite. It makes it very difficult to find a strategy that actually does work. And Town Hall 8 is probably one of the easiest Town Halls to triple at, but they've implemented all these incredibly strict uh, restrictions, which in my opinion makes it a hell of a lot more fun because you're, right. you're searching for these different mm-hmm. strategies you're trying new things and um i know my my team we just had a war the other day and we only got three triples at town all eight mm-hmm. um which really surprised us you know we thought we were going to go in and smash all the bases but suddenly they said well you can only use five dragons and you can only use 10 hogs and we were like oh okay what do we do now yeah right. so i i think that comes back to the player experience though and mm-hmm. if everybody's tripling except for you, like you feel, you feel sucky. You, yeah, you feel yeah. like a less of an individual. And so I think if you can get the triple rate, I've heard person, and I don't know if I'm right or not, but I've heard between 30 and 40%. If you can get that triple average triple rate per player around 30 to 40%, then that means if you're a player and you don't triple, you don't feel too bad because essentially six or seven of your teammates mm-hmm. on a 10 man team aren't tripling either. But if yep. you do triple, you're one of the three or four that did triple. So you feel pretty good about yourself. So I, that's interesting in that supercell has such a high triple rate at some ha- town halls. And yet the community is creating these tournaments where the player experience is so much better by the restrictions that they're placing upon it. Do you yep. see it the same way, Alex? Yeah. So hundred percent it- one of the things that really interests me is, like you were talking about there, that these hit rates and well, I'm assuming Supercell will have all these statistics somewhere with, you know, how many triples are coming in and how many two stars, how many one stars and whatnot. And they'll probably look at this and try and balance it for the meta. Uh, I don't know if you guys watched Worlds today, um, but certainly I was watching as many matches as I could. And, and looking at them, you know, the amount of perfect wars or certainly very high scoring wars that there was was unbelievable and i thought you know the the meta right now is it's it's not broken i don't want to say it's broken but it's very very offense heavy yeah loose it's very loose but but then Mm -hmm. you you might go to a very casual clan jump in and look at one of their clan wars and then suddenly there's not that many triples Mm -hmm. and it's just it's that it's a very difficult um sort of middle ground i would say supercell's in right now where they've got an ultra competitive scene that has a good amount of people, but nowhere near the same amount of people that actually just play the game casually, which I think is still what Supercell is more interested in the casual player rather than leaning towards the esports side. But obviously, we're, we're going to talk about that a, a little bit more in this podcast. But um, I, I'm very interested to see the direction that Supercell end up taking where the meta is right now because I think it is really, really offense heavy for those that know how to use it. Like mm. like T said earlier, he, he knows how to use it. He knows what strategies work in the bases, unlike me, who's just a casual spammer. <laughs> <laughs> T, I, I know there are thoughts going through your head. Uh, so the, the thing that always fascinates me is in a game like Clash of Clans or a game like League of Legends that's catering to just these giant swaths of the population that stretch from ultra competitive players that are doing nothing but playing this one game, researching this one game and practicing this one game all the way down to the people that are like, Oh, I do a clan game challenge once or twice a month. Right. <laughs> like, And it's, it, they're trying to make both of those players happy. And realistically, they're trying to make both of those players spend money. Mm. And how do you get that to happen? And there's a few different levers that Supercell is working with. And one of them is the esports scene. And if you have a popular esports scene and you have people that are watching these competitive events, um, they'll be motivated to play more. They'll say, oh, I want to get involved in competitive stuff. Well, how do I do that? Okay, I got to practice. I got to get better. I got to grow my account and do all of these things. So there's like a pipeline directly from the esports scene to gaining more players. Mm-hmm. But in order to get a big capture rate, right, you need to have a really big esports scene because you're not going to get everyone that's watching your esports scene to play your game. 
in the like League of Legends gets like 30 something million people watching some of their streams and some of their um, championships, but they don't have 30 million players even total mm -hmm. ever. <laughs> right, right. Right. So it's not like the most reliable thing. And I think one of the big things that Alex was touching on is like the lower town hall level player experience right now um, outside the farming. Like if you tried to war at town hall seven, town hall eight, town hall nine, they're, they're kind of boring and not very fun. And mm -hmm. I think that's, that's kind of like one of the reasons why I always advocate rushing. Cause I'm like, get to the fun part of the game, right? Mm -hmm. Don't, don't spend time on these parts of the game that aren't balanced and aren't very fun unless that's what you want. You want to play at Tunnel 9 and do these events that have restrictions to make them fun. And so, I don't know. It, it's it's a challenging situation to be in from Supercell because they need, like, if everyone is tripling all the time, it's boring. Mm -hmm. And if everyone yeah. is one-starring all the time and nobody's tripling, it's boring. Mm -hmm. So it's this little wobbly target that they have to hit that the professionals can triple at a decent enough rate but then the casual players are not just failing all the time because you don't want any part of your game to be completely broken. So I don't, I don't know how you answer that. I think the big question is what Supercell is going to do to fix the defensive side of the meta right now, because I, I think the big problem that they're, they're dealing with in the defensive side of the meta is twofold. One, I don't think the space of the base is big enough, like the builder space, like the blank space. And I don't think that 100 buildings is enough. Um, I think with the addition of the pets, heroes are so strong right now yeah. that you're going to need to go over 100 buildings. And those two things are things that Supercell has struggled with in the past. And they have not even come up with an answer publicly of what they're going to do once they get above 100 buildings. <laughs> like anytime you read an AMA with Darian or any of the other community managers in Clash and so, like... Almost every time someone will ask that question, like, what are you going to do with the percentages once you go over 100 buildings? And they'll either answer everything else in that post or they'll dance past that and be like, oh, <laughs> we don't need to deal with that yet, right? Yeah, <laughs> and they true. won't answer it. And I think those two things will give um, base builders enough tools that they can actually make a competitive meta. Because I think the strongest times in clash of clans history were when town hall 11 was maxed and then when town hall 12 was maxed mm. and the reason was the base builders had enough tools in their in their kit that they could make bases that were specifically anti-lalo or anti-hybrid or anti-witch and then it was up to the attacker to determine what those bases were how to match the army correctly and then Still, you had to execute it at a high level to get a triple. Mm -hmm. I think Town Hall 12 had some of the best meta when it was a max, right? Like once Town Hall 13 came out, then Town Hall 12 kind of went off the deep end. But Town Hall 12 was great because you not only did you need to do correct base identification, you also still needed a very high execution level. Like we're seeing some stuff in Town Hall 14 now, especially if you watch yeah. pros, where you're like, oh, wow, that's a mistake. Yeah. Oh, that's a mistake. Huge oh, mistake. That's a mistake. And then yeah. they still triple. And you're like, how the hell did this thing triple? Yeah. It makes no sense. And that's, I think, the most frustrating thing as a spectator, especially as a player that is spectating. You watch somebody do this hit where you're like, well, I've done that mistake. I've made that mistake. And I mm -hmm. don't triple. How does this attack triple? Right? Yeah. So I actually wa just watched a stream where a pro player, they sent in their blimp through an area that was trapped. So they sent the blimp in, double black mine goes off, the tornado trap goes off, it's a sneaky goblin slash goblin blimp. They have two elixir storages in front of the town hall. All of these things go off. The blimp goes off a good six or seven tiles away from the town hall. They, they had mini bombs around the town hall. They had uh, spring traps around the town hall. Somehow that blimp went down that far away and the sneaky goblins were still able to get the town hall, even though they were that far away. I look at something like that and I'm like, that, that was an awesome base builder move. They trapped up that entrance. They knew that that was going to be the likely entrance. And yet the attacker was still able to get the town hall. So when something right. like that happens in my mind, I'm like, come on now like this this 
it's a little too easy. And then the rest of the attack was basically, and again, if they can do it, like I, I'm not going to fault them for doing it, but they basically just puked up Inferno Babies and I think it was Dragon Riders and just right. took out the rest of the base without much effort at all. Granted, I'm not a pro player and they do make it look easy and I recognize that, but still, I it does seem as if, it's a little too easy at this point so i'm interested in seeing where they go from here for sure we'll see and the interesting thing to me is that the offensive uh power of town of 14 isn't even done yet mm. whereas the defensive power is mostly released we're really only waiting for possibly a wizard tower level um maybe or maybe not it depends on which trend supercell wants to go with we're definitely waiting on Archer Towers and Cannons. They'll they'll both get one more level. And then we're waiting on an Expo level. So yeah. unless Supercell wants to massively increase the time to upgrade Town of 14, which is already long, I think that's kind of it. And that's like surprising that we're still seeing like this high of a triple rate. Usually, like when Town of 13 was released, there were uh, ebbs and flows of defensive and offensive power which mm -hmm. was kind of messed up by yetis being so ridiculously strong in the beginning but nobody knew so you mm -hmm. had this like initial time frame where um super wizards were incredibly strong and then super wizards got nerfed and then everybody was like oh well let's let's try this yeti thing out for once <laughs> and then all of a sudden everybody figured out the ocho quake yeti spam and it was like oh huh yeah <laughs> and there were just like triples <laughs> everywhere very true yeah so two questions we want to answer today is something we've talked about a little bit but will esports ever be a part of the actual olympics that's actually one question that we discussed beforehand and in, in talking with each other through discord and then also will clash of plans ever be big enough to even be considered a dent in esports, because right now, compared to as T has said, League of Legends and World of Warcraft and Fortnite and a lot of these big streaming games, Clash of Clans has a pitiful amount of viewership. Mm -hmm. So, Alex, what do you think about the possibility that esports in general, not just Clash of Clans, might actually become a part of the Olympics? And then you have done a lot of streaming and content creation and a lot of that. How would you relate your experience to the esports scene in relation to Clash of Clans? I've had a, a long think about this one, and I, I think it's quite a difficult one to to you know talk about and and think about because if we were if you were to ask this to the older generation, mm -hmm. um, they would say of of course the Olympics is the Olympics. It's for athletes. Um, it's for people who you know they do sports and whatnot. Um, but then if you were to ask my generation, the younger generation, I would certainly say that in the future, I could definitely see esports becoming, I, you know, I don't know if it's going to become an actual part of the Olympics, but I could certainly see it becoming its own esports Olympics, if that makes sense. So there'll mm -hmm. be the Olympics for athletics and then there'll be the Olympics for, uh, for esports. I could more than certainly see that happening. And I think like we're talking about some of those games there, there's there's a big enough audience, uh, more uh, in the younger generation than the older generation, that they would easily get sponsors, they would easily get, you know, a huge amount of people playing and a huge amount of people watching. Now, as far as Clashes, Clash of Clans goes, I'm not too sure. Now, I know you said there that the numbers <laughs> look a, li a little bit pitiful. Just and little. I would, Just I would certainly, I would certainly agree with you there. <laughs> Um, you know, like you said, you, you can look at a um, League of Legends or even FIFA games like that, and mm -hmm. they just get unbelievable amounts of viewers. And then you look at Clash of Clans, and if if a stream on Clash of Clans has got over a thousand viewers, I'm like, wow, you know, <laughs> that that's absolutely massive for Clash of Clans. But in the in the big pool, Clash of Clans is a, is a tiny little fish, really, in the esports scene. So obviously, I would love to see. Um, Clash of Clans become a big game in the esports scene and I love the fact that ESL uh, is pushing it because right now I would kind of say ESL is one of these 
um, things that's really pushing multiple games. I wouldn't say it's like an esports Olympics, but it certainly hosts a lot of tournaments for a load of different games. And Clash of Clans is one of those games. I know ESL have a great relationship with Supercell, um, so they do tend to push their games a little bit more. But, you know, they have Call of Duty, they have FIFA, um, they have a lot of these big games, and they have Clash of Clans. So I certainly know that Clash of Clans is a very well-known game. I think the issue uh, with, with Clash is the fact that it's taken so incredibly long to become an esports game. Mm. You know, a lot of people still only play it casually and a lot of people won't even really recognize that there is an esports scene um, in Clash of Clans. I know Supercell has been trying to push it a lot in-game recently, but certainly I didn't know about the competitive side of it until I actually joined EYG. EYG was the first time I actually went, hey, there's a, a, a massive competitive community ran thing out there and i didn't know anything about it i was only ever just recording and playing in clan wars myself and recording friends um when it came to content creation so suddenly i went my god there's so much i can i can do as a content creator i can stream these live events i can go back and recap them after i can look at certain strategies there was suddenly there was just a, a whole load of stuff i could do and I think in the future, I would I would love to see Clash of Clans there. But if we were to see Esports Olympics, I don't think we would see Clash of Clans there. Certainly <laughs> for the first few, yeah. I think it's going to be these major, major big games that, that pull in huge amounts of viewers because obviously that's probably the, the sponsors and those that are running it are going to want uh, as many viewers as they can. So they're not going to choose a game like Clash of Clans that unfortunately uh, on a good day only pulls in maybe, I think one of the streams for, for the finals um, of the World Championships maybe had 15,000 viewers or something like that, if I remember correctly. So mm-hmm. it's it's it seems like a lot maybe um, to some people, but that's really not that much in the, right. in the big, uh, yeah. Yeah, so I think that esports is kind of going through the, same growth stage that sports uh, such as um, skateboarding, surfing, climbing, competitive climbing. Cause you know, back in the seventies, seventies and eighties, Tony Hawk was the household name, but he was never accepted into the professional world of the Olympics. And mm-hmm. so I think it was ESPN that created the X games, which kind mm-hmm. of rivaled the Olympics. And so that was a way for these unique sports such as skateboarding and surfing and rock mountain climbing, rock climbing, competitive rock climbing was able to get the younger viewers that they were shooting for was able to get that ad revenue. And at the same time, they were able to grow the sport so much to the point that at this recent past Olympics, they actually had skateboarding, surfing and competitive rock climbing in the actual Olympics. So I think your point is well taken and that it's not something that's going to happen right away. Mm -hmm. And I also think it's something that will happen alongside of the Olympics for a while, very similar to how the X Games has has worked over the past couple decades. So T, do you think that it will develop in the same way? Um, I think Alex hit it nail on the head. I think in order for any esport to become part of the Olympics, there there's going to have to be some sort of organizing body a la X Games, right? So maybe it's E-Games, right? Whatever, whatever the organization is. And they'll have to uh, demonstrate the viability of esports as a thing. And then they're also going to have to figure out, well, how do we organize this kind of event? Because the, the difference between like the Olympics uh, version of say basketball and the NBA is, well, everybody's got to play in a country. So one of the big things that's going to be a impediment towards other countries developing their own um, esports teams is like, you have to have a game that's so big that it is one globally accessible and two that more nations than just, you know, America, Japan, Korea, China, like you need to have a big enough population of each of these countries so that you can pull a professional team out of them to play on a global scale. Mm. So that's definitely something that's going to take at least a generation, maybe two, Mm. and we'll see it. But like, I think you can look at Korea and how um, South Korea's esports scene is and like how starcraft players are basically um like treated the same way that we treat professional athletes in america you know Mm -hmm. they have sponsorships they're they're like they're famous you know what i mean like they're they're actual celebrities in korea like Mm -hmm. starcraft players get recognized on the streets 
you know so you can see like yeah it's viable it works it can be a thing it just it needs to be spread out a little more and and grow a little more and i think that's the same sort of thing with clash right i think the biggest problem with clash becoming a bigger esports um game is just the amount of time money and energy that it takes to start playing clash and then get to a competitive level mm-hmm. and i i think that's the biggest problem right if it takes you a year from when you start clash until you get into even poking your way into town hall 13 most people aren't going to watch a clash of clans town hall 14 comp war and be like oh i want to play that and then look at the time it takes to get to that level and be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do that. Right. Like, that's not that's not how it works. Yeah. So one of, the- one of the hurdles that that they that esports has to overcome, which which kind of lends itself to your point, is that the Olympics and the X Games and skateboarding and, and all that we've talked about have been physical feats of accomplishment so i'm actually Mm -hmm. doing something physically with my body and and i am uh training in a physical way and that's typically been the route of of regular olympics when esports is essentially you're using your thumbs and and you're using only your brain so that's obviously one of the hurdles how would you respond to that hurdle in relation to what you said so far i i actually don't think that that's the like i i think you're right that if you ask an older generation why like could esports be a thing they would 100 percent come up that argument like no olympics are physical and use your body and like this is just clicking a mouse button right Mm -hmm. um and i I think that's actually not the hurdle i think the bigger hurdle is that you can start training a sport or a skill like gymnastics at a very very early age whereas if you start playing video games as a four-year-old or five-year-old you're playing basic games and those games are not going to be the thing that you're going to be competing at when you're 16 mm-hmm. right so if you're a gymnast that starts at three four five six however old you are when you start doing gymnastics you're going to be doing the same moves the same sport the same everything you'll have 16 years of experience by the time you're doing the olympics and so you can also do that like with you don't need a fancy gym right necessarily you, you just need a field to play soccer mm-hmm. in, if, you know, whereas like you need a computer probably or a tablet or something like that. And then you need years and years of practice at playing a specific thing in order to play on that level. So it's like this weird barrier that it's, it's more accessibility and longevity of game. And we're starting to see that games are lasting longer now. When I was younger, when I was like, you know, middle school, high school aged, the games that were popular would last like two years and then they Mm -hmm. just disappear. Whereas now you have like World of Warcraft, that's ancient. You have Clash of Clans just hit their nine year anniversary. You have all like uh, all these other games that are actually lasting a long amount of time. But then you also look on the side of um, FIFA or you look at um, Call of Duty. It's like every year there's a new one of them. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it's like that I think is the problem, right? You, You need... Like, what's the NBA of video games? Like, what's the NFL of video games? What's the thing, like, when you say video games, you say esports, you're actually talking about thousands of different variants. Whereas if I say, well, I want to get rock climbing in the Tokyo Summer Olympics. Well, you're really only talking about three disciplines. And you're talking about something that people around the world do. And if I say I do sport climbing, and I'm from America, and then I go and talk to somebody that's in India, and they say, I do sport climbing, we're talking about the same thing. Right. You know what I mean? We might have different words for how we climb. Like, they might not call uh, the information that you use to figure out how to figure out a route. They might not call that beta, right? They might have a different word for it. But there's still going to be a word for it. They're still going to talk about climbing the same way. And that's a universal experience that then brings people together and lets there be a Indian climbing team and an American climbing team. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the bigger in, in, impotent. That's the bigger problem, right? The bigger <laughs> issue is that if, if America gets into Fortnite, right? Like we're playing Fortnite all the time and we want to make that the new esports game or 
hey, maybe Supercell comes out with the most brilliant patch ever and Clash of Clans becomes the biggest game in Europe. Well, that's fine. But if you're talking Olympics, Olympics to me always meant global. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if Clash of Clans gets huge in Europe and not huge in America, well, then you're you're not going to have an Olympics of Clash right. of Clans. Well, so that kind of presents another hurdle. So the hurdle is what games are going to be played at that level because games are changing all the time, as Tia's just said. So are we going to have a generic, quote-unquote, I don't know if you guys remember Wii Sports back in the day where you had Wii right. Bowling <laughs> and you had Wii Tennis. and mm-hmm. <laughs> are One of my we favorite have, games. Yeah, I mean, are we going to have that? And then also, Alex, I would like to get your perspective on, unfortunately, there is a, a dark side to a lot of esports where there's a lot of bullying. And then also some of the biggest games are games like uh, uh, PUBG Mobile, Fortnite, Call of Duty, and a lot of people suggest that these games are promoting violence. And obviously, the Olympics is not something that people would want to look at and say, yes, let's promote these games, which essentially we're shooting each other. This is supposed to promote peace. It's supposed to promote unity. So what would you have to say about esports overcoming those two hurdles in its quest to become a part of the Olympics? That's that's a difficult question for sure. I would say... I completely agree. The older generation, well, if they were, if we were to host an esports Olympics, and the older generation would see games like Call of Duty, PUBG, Fortnite, even to an extent, even though that's a bit, a little bit more animated, I suppose, mm-hmm. with, with how it's played. Um, I think they would look at that and they would say, "Oh no, our, our children, the younger generation, shouldn't be playing these games." But, but then again, I. I personally think we have to look at this as the older generation not that they don't have a say but at this point the older generation can stick with the olympics and i think if there's going to be an esports olympics something like that that it has to be targeted towards the younger generation to watch it and if the older generation do choose to watch it that they understand that these are the games that are going to be played Mm. and you know the connotations around those games very difficult. There's been a, I know a lot of studies, a lot of research done. And I mean, I, I probably couldn't tell you the first thing about those studies, but I know that I've seen from documentaries and, and whatnot that it is meant to have some sort of impact on these kids. And, you know, it is promoting gun violence and it's promoting these sort of things. But mm. to me, at the end of the day, a game is a game. And I, I think it's very, very rare Uh, very very rare cases you will see someone that's played one of these games that's then gone to the streets and done whatever Mm -hmm. um stuff like that and usually nowadays what you'll find is if it's a someone from the younger generation that has gone out and done something terrible they will find a way to try and blame it on you know or they've been playing call of duty that must be the reason but Mm -hmm. i mean if you look back to the older generation, even in their youth, there would have been loads of exactly the same situations just without the video games. And they didn't obviously have that to blame it on. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying they're, they're a scapegoating or anything like that to blame it on, you know, these games and whatnot, but it's, it's a very, you know, you, you could talk about something like that for hours. I would say, and yeah. there's always, there's always going to be people I would say on the fence and on both sides. It's a very, very difficult topic to discuss, but I think if, something like the esports olympics was to come i don't think we could avoid having those games in there because those games have by far the largest audiences mm. out there uh, spon- sponsors would want those games in the the organizers would of course want those games in to get as many people watching as possible even clash of clans to an extent i suppose has that sort of animated violence to it mm-hmm. um I, I wouldn't really say maybe to the extent of call of duty stuff like that but right. it is there i suppose but i would never I know myself personally, I would never play the game and think, oh yeah, barbarian going and smash that arch or something like that. It's just, you know, I'm just yeah. I'm just playing it because it's just it's a fun. Bit of fun. It's a, yeah, bit, it's yeah. a bit of fun. And there's there's always going to be those people that are better at the game than others. And yeah, you know, maybe maybe sometimes they lose that fun aspect. I know us, I, I know and I speak to a lot of competitive players, and at some points, maybe the the fun goes away a little bit and it suddenly becomes a lot more serious, especially when large amounts of money is on the line, which I would assume if the, you know, esports Olympics is going to come around, there's going to be a, a huge prize pool or, or whatever you want to call it, you know, for those that do well in it. And suddenly the the pressure and the, 
the situation of what you're actually in, it might take away that fun aspect, which I think might have a little bit of a negative impact on some of the games because uh, suddenly players are maybe losing the fun aspect and they're doing it more for trying to trying to make a living. So it suddenly becomes their livelihood rather than just a fun game. But then on the other hand, that could also be an incredible thing um, that people can now make livelihoods out of playing a game rather than just doing it for fun. So yeah, yeah there's always um, two sides to each coin, I suppose. But uh, yeah, an interesting one. Yeah, so this obviously can be hugely politicized. It can be discussed. We can go down this rabbit hole for hours mm-hmm. and hours and hours. But T, what do you think about this topic? You know, it's it, it's funny to me that you bring up that there's like bullying in video games. And the first thought that hit my head was, I don't think Tip's ever been in a football locker room. <laughs> no, I actually, no, I played basketball in high school, but I did not play football. So I get it. <laughs> yeah. The amount of bullying that happened, um, at least when I was a kid, I don't know how it is now. The amount of bullying that happened in sports was just insane. And I, I think it's, it's definitely one of those things that people will say and will people will blame. And like video games have been scapegoated for so much stuff for so long. But like you just can't like they used to say that skateboarding was devil worship, right? Yes. <laughs> like, my, my, you just, yeah. <laughs> you just can't worry about that stuff anymore. You know, yeah. like they used to say that D&D was the same thing as satanic worship. Right. Like, man, D&D is like the, the most mundane thing that you can possibly play. Right. Like it's not you're not sacrificing a goat to play these <laughs> games, right? Or Doom. Like, Doom was the right. most horrible game in the world back when I was a kid, when it came out in, what, 1995? Right. Or, yeah. or like, Wolfenstein, where, like, yeah. you got so mad that it was, like, so realistic, which, like, looking back on is hilarious. But, like, so <laughs> realistic, and you're murdering humans. And it's like, nah, man, it, you just can't worry about that. I think Alex hit, like, was, was uh, perfectly correct on saying... You just can't worry about the older generation watching it or not. They're they're not gonna. <laughs> you could yeah. make it the most sanitized version of video games possible, and you're still not gonna get people over the age of 65 watching for the mm-hmm. most part. Right. I think there there are some uh, older generation folk that might tune in that maybe they played you know Atari as a kid, or they played maybe they were um, you know played Nintendo with their kids when they were growing up. And they're like, oh hey, I'll, I'll check this out. But mm-hmm. those are like benefits. Those are those are like. Those are just bonus viewers. Yeah, the bonus extras. <laughs> right. You can't plan to like get all the grandpa generation. <laughs> you know, they're just not, they're not into it. It's not their thing. And that's okay. They don't have to be. And I, I think instead what you should do or what the inevitable esports organization that will rise up will do is that they'll, they'll focus on something. Okay. Uh, we're going to do a fighting game category and every Olympics. So every four years, um, we're going to pick one game that at the beginning of the four-year period, right? So say there's um, a, a eSports Olympics is going to be in 2030. Mm-hmm. Well, 2026, they'll announce the fighting game for 2030 is going to be Street mm. Fighter 7 or That's Tekken, interesting. whatever the yeah. hell number. Right. And then you have four years to play that game, get on a national team for that game, and then 2030 happens and everybody competes on the big stage and everybody's got to be in the venue and all of those things can be uh, um, like sorted in a line. And then that's, that's the only way that I can think of to do it, that you'd have to like pre-announce the games that were going to be in the next competition. And then people would have enough time to practice and play them. And then that also kind of works into how you can hype it up because then you have four years where the streamers will have targeted games. So like if I'm a fighting game streamer, Am I going to stream the game that just released in 2025, or am I going to stream the game that's, you know, going to be the Olympic coverage, or I'm going to stream the game that's old and has has got a big following, right? Like you have different audiences, but then you you can also funnel everyone, right? Like if I'm a fighting game fan, then I'm going to want to see the fighting game Olympics, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Even if I don't necessarily play the specific game, I'll at least have enough time to educate myself on that specific one and how it differs from the game that I might play. Like maybe I'm a, a blaze blue player uh, and like the Olympics are soul caliber or whatever the, the specifics are, I would still tune in, you know? So one final thought to wrap up this discussion is will clash ever become breakout to become one of the big esports games. Uh, I know recently 
I, I know T you had said you watched the Itsu video, but Supercell just recently did a huge ban wave on a lot of legends players, which to me signals that they are interested in continuing to be a valid game where people can look at it and say they are espousing cheating. I'm sorry. They're not espousing cheating. They're focusing on the legitimacy of the game. Um, what are you, Alex, let's go with you. What are your thoughts about the large band wave that Supercell just did? <clears throat> and I, I don't know if you remember, you played, you said you played back in 2013, 2014, 2015. I remember yep. when modding was such a huge part of the game back then yep. and Supercell refused to do anything about it. Well, now it seems like they have recognized that in order for them to make more money, they need to have a legitimate game that people actually can feel good about playing and then so they do things like these huge band waves. What do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. I, no, there's probably some people that would be a little bit annoyed, but I, I have to say, I think Supercell's going in the right direction with um, with with banning players. You know, you, you cannot have players um, account sharing. Uh, you cannot have players modding. You cannot have players... Um, win trading. Win trading, that's... that's Win trading as well. That's another topic I could I could talk about for hours. <laughs> it's um yeah. yeah, win trading right now in the current Legends League ladder is is just oh it's absolutely ridiculous. It's going on everywhere. There is a few of these larger players. Um, I think Bernal they used to play for INTZ. He's mm -hmm. been highlighting a, a huge amount of these players that are win trading on Twitter, and I know a lot of the ones he has pulled up and said, look, here's the evidence. They have actually ended up getting banned. Uh, I wouldn't say just because of him, but certainly maybe him highlighting it has helped uh, Supercell to recognize the fact that there is this win trading going on. Um, but I think Supercell is going in the right direction. They have to make the game as fair as possible. They have to make sure everyone's on a level playing field um, because as soon as a game has a huge advantage for players that are doing a certain thing that other players you know, fair play players don't want to do, suddenly that's when a game becomes, you know, a game will die because of people cheating and stuff like that. So you, mm -hmm. you have to put your foot down. And I think Supercell has done absolutely the, the right thing here by saying we're going to ban players that break our terms of service. And like you said there, certainly in the olden days of Clash, uh, they turned a blind eye to it, but that's because there was not a competitive scene. The esports, mm -hmm. there was that's maybe... Good, yeah. That's a good point. I, I mean, CWL, um, not in-game CWL, um, Champions War League, the community-ran event, that was... Uh, I'm not actually sure when that started, but I think that was kind of one of the first uh, community-ran mm -hmm. events. 2016, I think. Uh, is that when yeah. that was? So it's, even mm -hmm. before that, there was, there was a huge amount of time before there was anything really competitive in the community um, right. where modding, well, it wasn't accepted, but everyone knew that it went on and it certainly was very difficult to avoid. Mm -hmm. um, you know, trying to go fair play was very difficult back then because you would just, you would face clans or whatever that would, or in fact, even before clan wars, there was uh, people trophy pushing and trading, uh, even what's happening mm -hmm. now, win trading and, and right. whatnot. So um, it's a difficult one, but I do think Supercell are going in the right direction. Um, I do, however, think they, they've still got room to be even stricter. I, for what I do hate it, you know, if I see a friend get banned for something absolutely ridiculous. Um, and sometimes I have seen players get banned for something they've not actually done. So maybe whatever algorithm or bot Supercell uses is picking up stuff that maybe actually hasn't happened um, or whatever. But I know those issues have always been rectified, but they're definitely going in the right direction. I would, however, like to see them looking um, at Legends League a little bit more because the win trading right now in the game is uh, is, is crazy. We obviously saw uh, Dr. Mitch Taba and all that. They bought the leaderboards. That was a bit of a crazy uh, time in mm. Clash of Clans. That's gone away now, but there's these people buying defenses and stuff, uh, you know, paying for one stars and zero stars and stuff like that, mm. which to me is mind-blowing. I would never... Um, so crazy yeah, yeah if, for me i wouldn't feel accomplished you know paying my way to get to the top of a leaderboard mm -hmm. if if i'd worked hard and i'd achieved it because i built a great base that was defending and my attacks had been incredible then i would feel that i'd accomplished something and that i'd actually you know performed well at the game but these players that are 
cheating their way to the top that really you know it annoys me you know i i know i'll never get um i'll never be as good as some of these other players but it would be nice to be on a level playing field at least yeah, yeah. true very true t do you have any thoughts on that um i i think alex is right um whenever you have a game that's supposed to be fair play and that you're trying to make a serious competitive environment in you just can't tolerate cheaters and you just you have to ban them like yeah it's <clears throat> there every time you've seen a company try to just like let things slide it, people will just abuse it yeah <laughs> and like the worst thing in the world that, that could happen for clash of clans is like you just see people executing these perfect one uh 100 three stars and the attacks are just nonsensical right mm-hmm that they're using like every troop in the game and like perfectly timing it so that like right as a black mine gets triggered by a single loon, then suddenly a baby dragon sneaks in. Like and you're like, <laughs> okay, that's a modded attack. Someone did it a thousand times, and then right. that's how it works. Yeah. And so you know, you just have to ban them, and that's that's what I think. I think Supercell 100% should ban more people, mm-hmm. um, and I, I think there should be an appeals period. Um, and an easier way to find out like why you're banned or if you can be unbanned or something like that. I, I you know, I, I know people that have reached out to Supercell Tech Support to try to get access to an old account, get banned on their other accounts because they get banned for like phishing, mm-hmm. and that's <laughs> that's always really upsetting to read on on uh, the Reddit um, threads. But, yeah. You know, I, I think it's it's better to be safe than sorry. And you just you just kind of got to ban them. You know what yeah, you do. True. Alex, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, we're going to give the big announcement here in just a minute. But I know that you do some streaming. You do a little bit of YouTubing. I think you have uh, a graphics and design portion. Uh, you have your own Discord server. And I could be wrong on all of that. <laughs> do you mind giving uh, listeners a chance to how they can connect with you and uh, anything else that you w- would want to say? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you can find me on Twitch. Um, I recently did take a, a little bit of a early retirement break, I like to call it, but I'm back now um, <laughs> doing some streams again. So you can find me at Clash with Style uh, on Twitch. You can find me at Clash with Style also on YouTube. Um, links to all my socials will be on my YouTube and on my on my Twitch. So and, you can find stuff there. Yeah, and I'll also put your links in the show notes. So if you're wanting to look with Clash with Styles, uh, Twitch link, YouTube link, I'll put all of those in the show notes as well for you. Thank you very much. Um, for those that are maybe interested, if you haven't watched any esports wars, um, that's pretty much what I cover. Um, a lot of these uh, really high intensity, fast paced esports wars, that's what I cover um, on my on my streams. So uh, feel free to tune in if uh, that's what you're interested in. Excellent. So big announcement time. All right, we need to do the drum roll. <laughs> that's where you do a drum drum fill <laughs> uh, that's not, that may be over my head i'm not sure that i know how to edit that in <laughs> so big announcement actually t is going to be coming on as a permanent co-host so all of you t lovers out there you're going to get to hear t every single week here on the clash Jets podcast t what do you have to say about that I, I'm just going to apologize uh, <laughs> to anyone who's like tired of hearing from me, but uh, I'm, I'm happy to join. I, I'm excited to talk about, we just have like a pile of topics that we want to mm. go through. And every time we have an episode, we end up with more topics <laughs> yes. when we finish the episode than when we started. And so I'm just excited, man. I, I can't wait to talk about some of this stuff. I know um, we're going to do something about rushing which if you're a fan of mine, you've probably heard me talk about rushing way too much. But if you're not a fan <laughs> of mine and you don't know, uh, I do have a rush guide that I've posted. And and I love talking about the, the journey from starting an account all the way up to maxing an account and how you can do, like how you can make it the most enjoyable experience that you can have. And the most efficient is my, <laughs> my <laughs> personal enjoyment comes from like maxing efficiency. So yep. like, that's one of the big topics. I know we have a whole bunch more that we want to cover and yeah. we just keep talking about this stuff on our <laughs> discords uh, channels, like just little nerds. And uh, I know yep. I'm excited, man. Like I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we, we have, so we've just, we've gone weekly. So I had been producing bi-weekly for a long time, but since T has come on, I think we have weekly podcasts scheduled all the way up until like we have the topics that we're going to discuss all the way up until November. 
I think. Is that right? That that's just like the locked in topics that we're like, okay, <laughs> let's like let's start getting guests and let's start making show notes for it. I'm pretty sure that we've already discussed enough topics to get us to next year. Oh my <laughs> like, gosh. Yeah. So if you guys like nerding out and you like data, then this is the place to be for sure. Another big announcement. We are actually opening a Clash Tips Discord server. I will put the link on Twitter so you can follow me at tipdog20 if you want to find the link there. I'll also put it in the show notes and I will also put the Discord server link in my in our Clash Tips channel on the EYG server. You can also message me or T. Uh, we can send you the link uh, to the server. But anybody and everybody, if you want to talk about the show, if you have ideas for the show, if you want to comment about something, if you want to say, hey, how can I get in touch with Styles? I, I miss that. Like We're going to have all of that on the server. And both T and I, as well as others, are going to be actively participating in discussions and things like that. So look for that Discord server. Actually, by the time that this uh, produces, it will be live. Uh, so thank you guys for coming on. Greatly appreciate it. T, I guess I will see you next week. And thank you so much, Styles. Absolutely. Styles. It was my pleasure. Alex. <laughs> Alex, <laughs> my my, it was my pleasure. <laughs> well, thank you for having me on. I absolutely love this. Um, much like you guys, I love uh, talking about all these uh, interesting things, especially when it comes to uh, the more esports side of Clash. That's what I'm really heavily involved in. So it was my pleasure to come on and uh, give a little bit of an insight uh, into some of the stuff. So yeah, thanks for having me. Well, we will definitely have you back. So thanks, man. I appreciate it. Cheers. Yeah, we usually do at least like one meta-focused episode a month. And I think you'd be a great guest to bring yeah. back on and talk about it. Definitely. Cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. I, I really enjoyed this. It was, yeah. it was great. Um, it's not, I don't usually get to talk about in depth about stuff like this. Usually, you know, I just stream wars and <laughs> yeah. I yeah. guess that's what I do. So no, I, I really, really enjoyed this. And if you've got a link to that Discord, I'll, I'll jump in now. Um, sure, we'll send it to you right now. Yeah, yeah definitely. Sure. We'll get you there. All right. Thank you guys for listening. Until next time.